Well, it is good to see a lot of folks back that uh, haven't been able to come for a while or felt comfortable coming, and I know a lot of folks are, are getting the vaccine and feel more comfortable, and we're hoping to be able to slowly move away from this, but uh, just great to see a lot of you. Um, I got my vaccine this week. Um, I got the Johnson & Johnson, and the next day they shut it down, so I was feeling a little funny about things. <laughs> But I thought, well, I'm not one of those six women from 18 to 48, so maybe I'm okay, you know. Um, but we're, we're thankful for that, and uh, good to see y'all. I know y'all enjoyed hearing Jonathan preach last week. Um, so, so grateful when I was on vacation that Jonathan did that. And I actually listened on live stream, watched on live stream, so that was new for me. And I was like, yeah, we do a pretty good job with that. So it was... Uh, it was good to see that, and I, I was really encouraged by Jonathan's message last week. But it's good, good to be back. Well, I'm going to start a new series um, today, and uh, we're going to be looking uh, through the writing of Nehemiah. And uh, there are times in life where we certainly experience uh, events uh, that cause us to stop and reflect on what we're doing and where we're going in our lives, don't we? And certainly this past year has been one of those times. Uh, sometimes those events are expected. Um, there are certain things in life where we're expecting. We know that there's going to be a graduation. We know that there's going to be a marriage. And we know that there's going to be certain things. And we, we expect those things and we act accordingly. But sometimes there's events that we didn't see coming. We don't see coming or expect. And either way, we have reason to pause and reflect and ask that question, what next? What do we do now that the kids are out of the house? What do we do now that, what do I do now that I'm retired? What do we do now in this situation? What are we going to do next? And uh, in the last year, we've obviously had some major events that have caused people, organizations, businesses, churches, and more worldwide to pause and reflect and certainly ask, what next? What are we going to do next? Now that things have shut down, now that things are starting back, what's next? How are we going to handle this? Uh, you going to work at home still or are you going to go back to the office? Are you going to open the church up or are you going to stay, stay closed? That's been interesting talking to uh, various uh, minister friends of mine that are all over the country. They said, hey, have y'all opened up yet? And I was like, have we opened up yet? <laughs> so we've been opened up since last June, but seriously in other places... Um, that's just started in January or recently, so it's not the same. Uh, the questions for what next with kids and, and students at school and college. Are you going to go to school at school or are you going to go to school at your home? How, how are you going to do that? Mask or no mask? Vaccine or, or no vaccine? Y'all know how it is. There's some people who were saying, I'm not taking that. You know, there's a lot of theories out there about it's not safe and some of them are, are maybe reasonable, and some of them maybe not so reasonable, but they're out there. And how about the, the political and social events that have happened in the last year, this highly volatile presidential election that we had, the deaths of citizens in our country that seem to continue to happen at the hands of police sometimes, the riots, looting, insurrection, even in our nation's capital, mass shootings again this week. Do you all not just grow leery of that? You wake up and you go, seriously, did that happen again? And it just, it, 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 it gets to you after a while. The massive protest and, 
and because this person thought that or thinks this way and I don't think that way, well, let's cancel them or let's not do it here and all these kind of things. And I could go on and on. Y'all know what I'm talking about because you're living through it. We are living through it. And you've watched, you've listened to, you've read the endless, seeming endless and unlimited opinions out there concerning all of those things. But as we navigate through all these things that are happening in our culture right now, it causes us to ask, again, what's next? How are we going to move through these things? How will I respond as an individual to this COVID, to the vaccine? How am I going to respond to what the political things that are going on in our country? How will we respond as a family? And sometimes you can see that even, we butt heads on those kind of things. How will I respond as a citizen, as somebody in my community to these things? How do we respond as a church, as a church community? How will we respond as a company or an organization? How will we respond as a nation to the things that are going on in our culture. And we've seen both inspiring responses through all of these things that we go, wow, now that is a good way to respond to that. I really appreciate what that person said. I really appreciate what that person did. And then we see appalling responses that I, I can't believe that person said that or did that or thinks that way in this situation. How is that going to help everybody? But it happens. But to help us answer the what next questions as we pause and reflect for all of us what's next, I want to start this new series, and I want to call it Vision Reconstruction. And we're going to go through the Old Testament writing of Nehemiah. I don't know how many of y'all have read Nehemiah. It's one of my favorites. It's a writing that's placed in our compiled Bible, kind of right in the middle. If you notice, if you look through your table of contents, it's kind of right in the middle. But chronologically, the events take place really at the end of the recorded history of the Old Testament. It's really these events that happen, and then there's that 400 years of silence before we get into the New Testament. But I want to give you a little background on Nehemiah. It tells us that he was born and raised in captivity uh, by the enemy kingdom. Israel's southern kingdom, Judah, had, uh, was invaded, and the capital city of Jerusalem, as you may know, was destroyed and burned in 586 by the Babylonians. They came in, and there were several uh, campaigns. I think this was the third and final campaign of the Babylonians in that region. Originally, they started in the northern kingdom. And in those days, when you went in and destroyed an enemy's town or region or, or whatever, not only would you destroy their buildings and kill a lot of people, but the people that survived, you would cart them back to your home and you would try to reprogram, change their worldview as you brought them back to your region. And that's exactly what was going on. In that first invasion, you'll probably remember names that got taken in that invasion like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and we read those stories in Daniel. But about 70 years after that first invasion, Babylon was conquered by the new world power in the world, and that was Persia. And King Cyrus allowed some of the Israelites from that first invasion to go back to Jerusalem and start to rebuild. And there was a man named Zerubbabel, if you may remember from the Bible, who went and helped get that going. But each of these campaigns left a mark on the people of Israel and their vision for the future. They had a vision they thought was going to happen. And as you know, as we read about in the Bible, in hindsight, that there were prophets that were coming and saying, you have broken the covenant you have made with God. All those 
things that you said you were going to do way back in Moses' time, that you would have no other gods before God, well, guess what? You have. And it just kept going on and on. And God finally said, if you turn away, I'm going to turn away from you. And something awful is going to happen. And that's exactly what happened. And it came in as enemies would come in. And nobody believed it at the time. Nobody really believed that God would allow Jerusalem to be destroyed. But it was. And they were taken into captivity. And not only did Israel know this was because of their broken covenant, their enemies knew this. They had known for years that God had allowed them to win a lot of battles, that there was no way on paper from the size of the military that, that Israel could have possibly won. They knew it had to be because of Israel's God. So they also knew when they took over Israel that they've made their God mad, and he's turned his back on them, and this is why we are allowed to take them over at this time. But it left this indelible mark on the Israelites. And all these things they were planning for their future were changed when their nation was destroyed. And I think it's hard for us to really try to get or even understand what that would be like. Now, we have seen refugees on TV and in, uh, in the news over the years. But I don't know. And there's probably a few of you. I know there's some folks in our church that I get to hear their personal stories who have been through some of that. And it is a scary thing, but I don't think most of us really would understand what that's like. But I would try to kind of paint a picture for you if, if I could. Let's say somebody in, let's say, as far away as California, all the way out west in California. And I'm not saying California, so don't read anything into it, okay? I'm just saying that far away. What if a group of people there decided, we want to go to Noonan and we're going to take over Noonan? And we may have heard about it, and we laughed and go, they're not going to come to Noonan and take over us. That's crazy. That'll never happen. And we kind of let it go. But then all of a sudden we hear they're halfway across the nation, and they're still saying they're coming to Noonan, and they're going to take over. And then all of a sudden we hear they're getting closer and closer. Then we start getting nervous, and we say, hey, we've got to do something about this, and we've got to be prepared to defend Noonan when those folks get here. Well, all of a sudden they come into Noonan, and they're much bigger, there's much more of them, they're much more powerful than we ever uh, thought they could, and we could not stop them from taking over Noonan, and they did. And all of a sudden, we would see mass destruction of not only our homes, but our businesses, our schools, uh, places we go to eat and shop, all these things we would see driving, trying to drive around, all of a sudden we would see their military with machine guns in places that we used to go and say, you're not going there anymore. Can you imagine what that would be like? And you would also see a lot of dead people laying in the streets, or you would see people being killed, and you're going, what has happened to my land? What has happened? And then all of a sudden, when they make the final takeover, anybody that was left alive say, guess what? You're not going to stay here. You're going to go back with us all the way, a thousand miles away to our home. That's going to be your new home. Can any of us really even fathom that, how that would be? And they literally walked them back all the way from Jerusalem to Babylon, some, I don't know, I've heard 750 to 1,000 miles away. Can you imagine that track after watching the horror of your hometown be completely destroyed? But this is what it was like. So you can see how traumatic this was. And as you're walking back to this new place, not knowing what your new life's going to be like, you're remembering why did this happen? You're thinking, why did this happen? But you know in your heart, we forsake God. We forsook God. We, he told us this would happen all the way back to Moses, that if you turn your back on the covenant I've made with you, 
I'm going to turn my back on you. And he gave them warning after warning through the prophets, and they still said, ah, he, he loves us too much. He'll never do that. And it finally happened. So whatever your age may be, whatever vision or dream you had for your life at that time would be completely wiped out, and they were forced into an unfamiliar place and an unfamiliar environment and they were trying to reconstruct the thinking of the Jewish people that you're no longer not only are you not going to have your home anymore but we're going to try to completely reprogram you so that you won't want to go back to that and this is basically what happened to the nation of Israel and Nehemiah was born into captivity and although it had happened over a hundred years ago here's the thing that's amazing to me about God's uh, knowing what he was going to do all along. Nehemiah knew about that tragic event. How did he know about that? Because the people of his family and his nation never stopped talking about it. They didn't like, let's just try to erase that from history. No, they said, this is something we have to learn from. You have to know these stories. So they told their kids, they told their grandkids, they told their great-grandkids. We used to be in Jerusalem, not in Babylon. We were a great nation. We had this beautiful city with walls all around it and a temple, and that's where we were. We were the world power. They told them about David and Solomon and all those kind of things, but now that had all gone away. But somehow he had connected to all of that because he was born in captivity, and he longed to know somehow how he could reconnect with his roots, with his family, and his national heritage. And we read as we start into... Uh, Nehemiah, and we are going to get there, and I'm like, okay, you're talking, but when are you going to get into it, all right? We're going to get into it in just a minute. But basically, he has risen to a prominent place in a foreign land. Although he is a foreigner, and they've tried to reprogram him, it's obvious they have not reprogrammed him. He still knows what his roots are. He still knows his heritage. He still knows the God of his fathers and his grandfathers and, and Moses and Abraham and all that. He knows it very well, and he knows while they're in captivity. But he has uh, made it up the ladder, so to speak, and he is in this foreign land and this foreign culture, but he is in the royal city of Susa. We read about this in the book of Esther. And he is cupbearer to, to the Persian king, who's the new power in the world, King Artaxerxes, and he's the cupbearer. Y'all know what that guy does, right? It's not a job I would want. Here, taste this, drink this, to make sure there's no poison in it before I taste or drink this. You know, but he's in that position. And this is where this writing starts. And we believe that Nehemiah may have written this. It sounds it's in first person, so it sounds like it's from, he's telling you what happened. Um, but it also may have been written by Ezra, you know, the book bef uh, in, in, in the same time. He's a contemporary of Nehemiah. And maybe he took Nehemiah's personal diary that he wrote down, and he wrote it for him. We don't know for sure, but... Either way, we have a fascinating story of God's providence through a very difficult time in the nation of Israel. So in our text today, Nehemiah has heard a report. He says, I've had one of my brothers go back to Jerusalem and see what's going on there because they understand that this group of people had gone back maybe a, a hundred years, 70 years before and started rebuilding the temple. So they want to know, well, what's going on? Is the temple been, well, the temple's been rebuilt, but it's not much of a temple because before this temple was Solomon's temple, and it was like one of the seven wonders of the world. But now it's sort of been rebuilt. But his brother tells him, but the nation, the walls in the town are just torn down. 
It doesn't even look like the same place. The people are discouraged. Nothing's really happening. It's not really getting any momentum going. And when, when Nehemiah heard this, it discouraged him. It grieved him deeply. So we're going to get into to that. And it says that he wept, that he mourned, and that he fasted for days, and he prayed for days before God specifically about what he had heard that was going on in his homeland. So we're going to look at chapter 1, verses 5 through 11, if we could have that up on the screen, or y'all can open up your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 5 through 11, or your phones or your personal device. But listen to what he says, verse 5. And again, he's heard this report, and then chapter, uh, verse 5, chapter 1, it says, Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling place for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeem by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. Now that's how we know he was cupbearer to the king. He tells us he is. But you can see in this prayer, this fervent prayer of Nehemiah, it's motivated by what? This grief. This grief that he experiences as he says, I can't believe that's going on. I thought God maybe would have restored Israel by now, but it's a process. And he's grieved to know that it's not going in the way they had hoped it would go. And I want us to notice in this grief, it has started in the form of a what next. He's thinking, nothing's being done there. I'm in a position of leadership here. You know the wheels are turning in his head. What can I do? What's next? Is there a possibility? He starts to form a vision which also forms a vision for that answer of what's next. He has a vision in his mind. That's why he's going to God. But notice in this prayer that there are elements of Nehemiah's prayer that show us clearly that he still has an incredibly strong faith in his God, doesn't he? Even though he's been put into an enemy environment where they worship many gods or, or all kinds of weird gods, at least for them, and he still has his faith, his strong faith, and knows, knows and believes that there is one God and he has a relationship. So he says in that very first part, he acknowledges who God is. He says, you're a great God, you're an awesome God who keeps his covenant of love. He acknowledges that God hears his prayer, but he's asking specifically, I'm asking you to be attentive in this particular prayer today, which kind of seems funny to me that you're telling God to be attentive. It's like, ooh. I don't know if I would have said that, Nehemiah, but he's going, I'm serious. He's just passionate about this. And he acknowledges in this prayer the sin, what? In his own life, in the life of his family, and the life of the nation of Israel. We've all sinned. This is why we're in this position, y'all, because of our sin. 
And I'm sure there were a lot of people going, yeah, but it was their fault. If they had only done this, if they, you know how we do, it's always somebody else's fault. But when we really come to a point where we're ready to change, we realize that it's me that needs to start the change, that start the vision. He also mentioned specifically, we acted wickedly. We acted disobediently toward God and his specific laws and commands given to Moses and Israel. And notice he, he's mentioning all these Old Testament characters hundreds of years before him. Why does he know these? Because somebody taught him. They have not been reprogrammed. They know their heritage. And he talks about the consequences of breaking the covenant and the laws. He says, hey, God, you remember when you said it? I'm sure God goes, yeah, I almost forgot that. No, he didn't forget. He's reminding God, we know you gave us that. And you told us this would happen. And we understand why this is happening. But he also says, we also acknowledge there's this alternative hope of restoration for the future when we turn and repent and return. And you promised us you would bring us back. And so that's the vision that he's looking forward to. And Nehemiah specifically asked for God's special attention in this prayer and for others that are praying for this vision. And then he says, in the presence of this man. Now, who is this man? Well, he's getting ready to go to King Artaxerxes and, and just kind of lay out his vision for what he has about this issue that grieves him so greatly. So Nehemiah had a vision of what's next that had been birthed out of his grief for not only himself, but his nation. I want to know about my heritage. I want my heritage to continue for my kids and my grandkids and my great-grandkids. But how is that going to happen if something isn't done? If the walls are still broken down in Jerusalem and nothing's moving forward. But today, as we, we kind of close out, I want to bring this home to us again back into our situation. In our own personal lives, do you have a vision for your life? Think about that. I mean, as I'm, as I'm thinking about and putting this sermon together, I go, I don't really have a written out plan for my future. I mean, I kind of got it, you know, kind of, you know, we all kind of have that. But do we just kind of let life happen and we just kind of go from thing to thing to thing and we really don't have a real vision? Andy Stanley in his book, uh, Visioneering, shares that vision is something, and, and can, we, can we get that up on the screen? Is that possible? I think I actually have that. There's a couple things I want to share with you all as we close today. Well, I'll talk about it. Hopefully, it'll, it'll pop up there because I got it to them late. That was my fault. There it is. Y'all are awesome. All right. So vision is something that stirs up emotion or passion in us, and it does. And obviously, this has happened to Nehemiah. Vision is something that provides motivation in us. Not only has it stirred up emotion and passion in Nehemiah, but now he's got this motivation. I want to do something. I don't want to just grieve about what's happening in Jerusalem. I have a motivation to do something. And then he says vision is something that determines direction for us. And we're going to, as we go through it, we're not going to see what happens this week, but next week we'll look. What happens as a result of this? What is going to be the direction for Nehemiah going forward? But what about for you? And all this stuff that's going on in our nation and our country right now, what is going on in you? What is giving you direction? And then vision translates purpose for us. And then that second thing at the bottom there is, this is actually from Bill, Bill Hybels. Um, there's been a, uh, uh, he, he has a, a, a definition of a vision that I like. It is a picture of the future that produces passion in people. That's pretty easy to remember, and I like that. A picture of the future that produces passion in people. And this is not only Nehemiah's vision, but God said, if you will turn 
and repent and return, I will give you that vision of that passion that you want for your future and that I want for you in your future. So I want us to think about those as we go through um, the next few weeks. But Nehemiah certainly seems to have passion. And notice he acknowledges God in order to carry out his vision. He was asking God, I want you to ordain this vision. And we'll see that as we go through the next few weeks to make sure it's of you, God, not of me, Nehemiah, but of you. I want this to be your vision. So again, what is your vision this morning for your life? Is it a God-ordained vision or is it more about you? And regardless of your age or your situation in life right now, do you have a vision for what's next? We all should have that, and we should be asking God to help us. Is it God-ordained? Is it God-intended? Is it God-determined? And what I believe we will find over the next several weeks in looking at this this writing of, of Nehemiah is that Nehemiah's deep faith, his deep faith in God produced a picture of the future that did produce passion in him and also into other people. And that passion moved him forward, this God-ordained vision that hundreds of years later, we're still talking about it. People are still writing books about it and making quotes about it because it was such a, a vision that really transformed the nation of Israel, but it also transformed Nehemiah as a, per, uh, as a person. So as a result, I hope this will motivate us to seriously look at our lives And hopefully some of us can think, what is a God-ordained vision that God's going to do in my life through this? Am I just going to go to Facebook every day? Am I going to sit in front of Fox News or CNN and just go, isn't it awful? Our nation's going to hell in a handbasket. What are we going to do? Or are you going to say, God, maybe like Nehemiah, you're grieved and you say in prayer and fasting and thought and meditation, say, God, what? I can't change police reform or gun control or all of that stuff. I don't know what I can do, but what can you do in the environment I am to show people that I have a God-ordained vision for a better future? A better future, what can I do? How do people see that? When you talk about these things in the news, what are you spouting off? Ain't it awful? That doesn't inspire me. Does it inspire you when people are just negative all the time? No. So Nehemiah was one of those guys who go, no, it is bad. We're not going to pretend it's not bad, but what are we going to do? How are we going to let God allow us in our area of influence to make a difference and create a passion in us? So that's the challenge as we go through Nehemiah. Well, as I close today, I want to say there may be somebody here today that needs to really, the real vision of your life, you go all the way back to the end. What's going to happen when I die? And we need to know that. And Jesus died on the cross, rose again so that we can know I can have a vision for the future that includes a new life in Christ and an eternity with him. And so we're going to offer that invitation this morning as uh, Mike comes and leads us in a song. And if you need to make a decision for that today, I'll be right here and and try to walk you through that as we stand and sing together. Mm -hmm.